Last year, I had the opportunity to list my Montecito guest house on Airbnb. This was part of a special project that Airbnb spearheaded to build connection and to make the world feel a little less lonely. It was such a pleasure to get to know my Airbnb guests over dinner and share my home with them so that they could rest and recharge on their trip. But typically, the beauty of hosting on Airbnb is that while you're away, someone else can get as much joy from your home as you do. Being a host on Airbnb is great for those who travel frequently, have extra space, or own a seasonal home. If you've stayed at an Airbnb, you know the unique experience it offers. And now you can share that same experience with others in addition to earning additional income on the side. To learn more about hosting on Airbnb, head to airbnb.com slash host. When you are pioneering anything or introducing new ideas to the culture, you get criticized. You do? Yeah. <laughs> Did you hear about that? <laughs> I didn't find the one. I found someone I respected and we made it the one. In the sort of longing kind of view of love, people understand each other as if by magic. Nothing in itself is addictive on the one hand. On the other hand, everything could be addictive if there's an emptiness in that person that needs to be filled. I now know that nobody changes until they change their energy. And when you change your energy, you change your life. I'm Gwyneth Paltrow. This is the Goop Podcast, bringing together thought leaders, culture changers, creatives, founders and CEOs, scientists, doctors, healers and seekers, here to start conversations. Because simply asking questions and listening has the power to change the way we see the world. Here we go. My guest today is Whitney Wolf Hurd. Whitney is the founder and CEO of Bumble, which is a dating app where women make the first move. In 2021, she was the youngest female CEO to ever take a company public. Today, I got to talk to Whitney about her extraordinary entrepreneurial journey and learn about how Bumble evolved. We also talked about why people behave differently on social media and how Whitney and her team are striving to make our online world a more compassionate one. Whitney has such a uniquely brilliant mind and a nonstop creative drive where she's consistently generating super compelling ideas and creative solutions. So I loved getting to dive deeper with her. Let's get to my chat with Whitney Wolf Hurd. Okay, Whitney. Okay. Whitney Wolf Hurd. Did you drop the wolf? No, I kept the wolf. I just added the herd on the end. I feel like we've got all this animal stuff going on. You've got the wolf and you've got the herd. It's just kind of this like, I don't really know what's happened to my name over the years. Well, you got married. So, you know, you know, it's just, I always kind of thought my name was weird growing up anyway, Whitney Wolf, like the WW and, and then we added herd on the end and I was like, all right, now we just got this like whole theme. Well, I love your name. And I think there's power and repetition of initials. Isn't there? Somebody told me that one time, but it would make sense because you are the founder and CEO of Bumble. Yes. Yes, I am. You have had the most extraordinary entrepreneurial journey. I look up to you so much, even though you're 41 years younger than me. Okay. That first of all, that is bad math. And wow. I'm the one that looks up to you. You're, you're oh, my please. everything idol. You were the youngest female to ever IPO a company. It was a unicorn plus when it debuted on the 
stock exchange and the company just continues to grow. And it's so impressive because you've just like, first of all, you really disrupted the dating space and you have such product market fit and it's so resonant, the product that you just keep growing and growing. It's unstoppable. I also want to talk to you about like who you are and who you are as a mother and and all of that. But I think where I would like to start is really following the the thread of that entrepreneurial spirit. Because of all my friends and all of the CEOs that I have the honor of talking to and asking questions to, your entrepreneurial spirit, like you're always percolating. You always have ideas, ways to solve problems, ways to identify problems. It's like pouring out of you in a way like that I think even supersedes your problem solving instinct. It's like you're generating all this great stuff all the time. So were you always like that as a kid? Well, first of all, thank you. I see that as a huge compliment. You know, I I think the way my mind works is I constantly see things that I think are broken or need improving or need another lens, or need more love, or more kindness, or a better way. And I get very frustrated and always have my whole life with systems that feel the antithesis of what I just said. Mm -hmm. When I see a system, it could literally be a road, right? You know, (laughs) this is a random example, but a real one. This kind of a total segue, but my husband, who you know, he actually had a very scary and terrible car accident in 2017 on this road off of our home in Texas. He was in critical condition for a while. He was in the ICU for, you know, almost, I, I can't even remember. It was such a blur, but definitely more than a week and broke his back terribly, almost never walked again. Anyway, I was so upset about this road. The road was paved so poorly and I felt like it wasn't You know, it's just the road was just a metaphor for these things, these systems, these, you know, daily systems that are just in my mind broken. So we actually did get the road changed. (laughs) We we actually did get it passed with the town and they repaved and like did the proper lines and made it safer. It was dangerous. This road was so dangerous. And there's a metaphor in that for the business I've been building and continue to build because I do see the internet as a really dangerous road and a road that doesn't protect people and certainly doesn't protect, you know, women or, or minority communities. And so I think I'm really pissed about broken roads and instead of getting angry about it and, you know, maybe protesting them standing on that road with my arms up, I'm like, let's just go fix it. Let's just go change it. So that's kind of the way my mind operates on a day-to-day basis, whether it's, you know, with that example, we're running the business. Yeah. So what was the road that you were trying to repave or, you know, when you founded Bumble, what was the opportunity that you saw there? Who were you trying to make safer and how did the idea come to you? So it's, you know, like a lot of these things, it's a long, you know, crazy story, but I'll try to condense it. So I was fortunate enough to kind of stumble at 22 years old into a tech incubator, which now sounds really cool and normal. But when I was 22, you know, tech incubators were not where young women went. That was like the last thing a young woman graduating from a 
good university would go and do, you know. Tell us quickly how you got there, just so we know. By chance, I actually met somebody who introduced me to another somebody. And long story short, instead of just having casual dinner chatter, I saw an opportunity to ask for a job. And I basically followed up on that and inserted myself and took chances and actually saw opportunity and went for opportunity and followed through with opportunity until I was hired into this tech incubator. And we would end up launching a kind of a side project in this incubator back in 2012, which would become Tinder. So there's an interesting through line here because I was a 22-year-old woman who was dealing with the perils of dating in the real world, which my 22, so let's say I'm 33 now. So, you know, not, not a thousand years ago, but also, you know, there's a lot that's changed since then. I remember that it would have been considered a sin if I had texted a guy first, or if any of my girlfriends had approached a guy first at the bar, that would have been so taboo, something you just don't do, you know, and I was going to school in the South. So it's like not super South, but still the South. And it just was those were the rules, right? Those were the rules. And who wrote those rules and who said to follow those rules? No one knew, but we all just did it. But it pissed me off. I always remember saying, this isn't fair. This isn't fair. So anyway, we go on to build Tinder. It becomes this, you know, and it's always subjective how you define success, but it becomes this successful business. But through that growth came some, you know, repavement opportunities, meaning, I identified that these products that I myself was contributing to for better or for worse, we weren't putting women first. We weren't thinking about women. And we were basically just, we took a framework that existed offline, which was flirting and dating and connecting and just quite literally transferred it digitally. But we didn't re-engineer the rules through that. It was just this kind of transfer of behavior from physical to digital. So I started to notice that a lot of women were not being treated right. They were both on Tinder and otherwise, they were being treated really poorly on the internet. And I was really upset about it. And I noticed it and I clocked it and I paid attention to it. And so when I ended up leaving Tinder, I actually was subjected to a lot of online toxic behavior. I was getting lots of terrible messages and, you know, direct messages and all these like, nasty streams of communication that I didn't want through all these because it was it was public that you were leaving yes very public which also was crazy I didn't you know I I had no idea what to expect or why that you know why that publicity was really taking place the way it was but the point is I I really said this road is so dangerous Mm -hmm. this internet is this 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 digital road that we're all forced on we're all it's like the only road we all drive on right we're all online all day. I was like, this is so dangerous. This is so broken. This is so wrong. We have to fix it. I really wanted to create a safer digital space. And so that was kind of the early bubblings of what would then one day become Bumble. So for timeline reference, I left Tinder April, 2014. I started dreaming up the original concept of Bumble, which was going to be a compliments only social network for girls and women by about June of that year. And then I met my former business partner and basically he convinced me to do my vision, but through the lens of dating. 
And Bumble would then be born in its women make the first move sense, which we'll talk about in a second, August. And it was live in the app store December. So, you know, that was a whirlwind of a year. And that's kind of the beginnings of it all. Mm. And I just want to touch briefly on this because your response remains one of my favorite, most baller things of all time. You got sued, right? For like non-compete or something when you started Bumble. You took out an ad in the New York Times where you basically lambasted whoever was fucking with you, who, you know, it doesn't even matter who they were, but that level of boldness articulation, you basically just smacked down these men who were essentially harassing you. (laughs) Yeah. You know, there have been quite a few sagas along this journey, but I've got to tell you, there is no better saying on planet earth than kill them with kindness. Mm -hmm. A A lot in that. So whether that's a New York times ad or a billboard or or whatever you might come up with, you know, you just, you just keep on keeping on. And it's just so interesting, you know, because I think as women were really taught to work or push back within the confines of patriarchy and, and being polite and, you know, I don't know. I just found that so iconoclastic and amazing. And like, I was like, okay, I'm taking out my notebook here. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Hopefully you don't find yourself in that situation, but if you do call me, we'll, we'll chat. <laughs> I will. I always do. Let's take a quick break to talk about one of our partners. Last year, I had the opportunity to list my Montecito guest house on Airbnb. This was part of a special project that Airbnb spearheaded to build connection and to make the world feel a little less lonely. It was such a pleasure to get to know my Airbnb guests over dinner and share my home with them so that they could rest and recharge on their trip. But typically, the beauty of hosting on Airbnb is that while you're away, someone else can get as much joy from your home as you do. Being a host on Airbnb is great for those who travel frequently, have extra space, or own a seasonal home. If you've stayed at an Airbnb, you know the unique experience it offers. And now you can share that same experience with others in addition to earning additional income on the side. To learn more about hosting on Airbnb, head to airbnb.com slash host. Okay, let's get back to the conversation. So in the early days of Bumble, when it started to get traction, like what did that feel like? And what did it feel like to see women sort of take the reins and become empowered in that way? And how intentional were you about the particular product being geared towards women? Or were you using kind of, you know, an existing template? Or were you really thinking about how do women use the interface with this stuff? Yeah. yeah. So it's interesting. I, I remember it vividly, the actual moment I decided women would go first on this product. And it really was one of those kind of cartoon version aha moments. I didn't even know moments like that could happen, but it did. It just, everything clicked. It really kind of a surreal moment because I was agonizing with these different puzzle pieces and they were essentially, the internet is toxic. It's not safe and it's not been designed 
to be safer or to be better or kinder to women in particular. And then the other puzzle piece was women are not equal in relationships. And we have these expectations on us and these rules that basically demote us as Mm. citizens. Like, you know, don't speak up, don't be too needy. You have to play hard to get, don't show any interest. Don't open a door. Don't pay a check. I mean, there's all of these little nuanced rules that have been ingrained in us forever of how to behave as a woman. Right. And so I had these different puzzle pieces and then we had this other puzzle piece of a wildly successful product that I had helped create, which was Tinder, which was absolutely, you know, viral and it was working, but it never really had women, you know, front and center. It wasn't designed that way. And so all of a sudden, I just kind of sat still in silence and really just leaned into my deep sadness of what it felt like to be a young woman dating and what were those what were the like the saddest moments I felt either feeling like a second-rate citizen in a relationship or not being able to go first or being judged for it or being abused on the internet and it was wild. It's just like all came together in this little whirlwind. And I kind of said out loud to the group, I was like, okay, I got it. I know what this is going to be. When a heterosexual match is about to happen, you basically swipe right on one person, the person swipes right back, and then it's locked. The only way to unlock the chat is the woman has to go first. And everyone looked at me like I was crazy. And they're like, I don't understand. And I said, no, it's, it's kind of like, the Sadie Hawkins dance, right? Where the young girl has to ask the boy out to the dance. It changes the whole ethos and, you know, kind of mood. And it's a little bit like Cinderella, you know, we're going to make this expire after 24 hours. And, you know, she doesn't go first within 24 hours. Her carriage is going to turn into a pumpkin, like the match will be gone. And that was really the beginning of Bumble. That was like day one. And the craziest part of that was how ridiculous it sounded to nine out of 10 people. (laughs) No, really. And it's so funny now because it makes so much sense and it feels so simple. And it's like, oh, of course. Right. But, you know, eight years ago, everyone was like, I don't know. No, (laughs) that doesn't make sense. So, you know, those first few months of quite literally begging and pleading, not only the engineering team I was, you know, in partnership with to design it that way, but then to beg and plead with, our original customers, you know, women were like, I don't know. I don't, I can't go first. And, and then all of a sudden, you know, the messaging and the persistence and the repetition, it started to finally click Mm. and women realized, oh, wow, I do want to go first. I actually, I'm in control. This is something I, you know, women want to be in control of their experience, whatever that looks like. They want to be Mm. safe. They want to be treated better. And I think our first campaign ever, which is so funny, now we've made it a law. It's actually illegal. Now we did a campaign where it said no more eggplant emoji pics. Like, you know, like we, we used the eggplant and we said, you won't get these on Bumble. Like we will keep you safe. I was really aggravated with the fact that people were still able to send these photos with no repercussions beyond getting banned on our product. I was wondering, as you were talking, like Bumble has had so much success. And do do you think it's because men self-select out. Like I always think, God, you have to kind of be a nicer guy to be like, yeah, let the woman go first. You know, it just makes the atmosphere feel inherently more warm and gentle. Is that true at all? 
I, I do think it's a more warm and gentle environment. And it's interesting. I love that you pick up on that. A lot of people don't realize, but technology products have a soul. They have personality. They actually have a full DNA, right? Like the people that build the products are the soul of the products and the intentions of that team and of those people come to life in these products. And that it spreads, right? And I think we can all close our eyes and imagine a few products out there and you can probably feel the personality of the product, right? And what's interesting is it almost always directly correlates to the people behind the product. So I will say that that kinder, warmer, more gentle environment was engineered, which then kind of spread in a, I don't know, somewhat mystical way, if you will, to people that wanted to be a part of that, right? And then what's really interesting is you could find, and I've seen this and there's real evidence behind this. I can't tell you, GP, how many times I've been sitting with someone and we've opened both their Bumble and then maybe another dating app and you see the same guy on both, but the way the guy behaves on Bumble is actually different than the other product. And it's not that, you know, it's it's not like they're being disingenuous. There's something about, you know, pulling out the good in people because yeah. everyone deep down with the exception of, you know, a handful of folks out there, I think everyone deep down has really the ability to be good and to behave better and to be kind and to relax. And what's interesting, there's psychology behind this. A lot of the aggressive toxic behavior we see in dating, both online and offline is actually a function of rejection. So when you look at the rules that have been in place where in heterosexual connections, men are expected to go first. They're the hunters. They have to be aggressive. They're going to go get that girl, right? And we're talking about heterosexual relationships, of course. And it's not to say that other relationships are not equally as important, but just for the exercise of this, like kind of, you know, old school rule breaking, when you reduce that aggressiveness by saying, Hey, it's okay. You don't have to be aggressive. You don't have to be rejected. You're not going to get ignored by 50 women. And then you don't have to become aggressive. It just deflates a lot of things. People mm. can relax a little bit. And so I think the behavior is actually because partly what you said, the self-selecting thing of like wanting a woman in control and respecting that and being all for feminism and equality, but there's also something in just not having to be rejected, which yeah. really, does create a kinder, more confident experience. Right. So the man side of the experience is just no match comes up, right? I'm like, I've never been on a dating app. That's how old I am. Okay. So it's a little more like this. So let's just do this comparison on other dating products, men swipe right. And let's say they get all these matches. So they match with 10 women. One man matches with a woman. That woman has gotten so many messages, so many inbounds from so many people that it's so inundating to her. It's so overwhelming that she can't and then essentially just doesn't respond to so many of these guys. Well, when you compound that, when that happens to the same guy 10 times, he starts to build up this real insecurity because he's been rejected 10 times. So then what happens? There's a tendency for them to then become abusive toxic, aggressive, mm -hmm. send lots of nasty messages. We stop that cycle. Obviously bad stuff does happen on Bumble. We're very onerous of that. We can't change human behavior. We can try to guide it into mm -hmm. a better way, but we can't completely eradicate bad actors. We can build all sorts of 
you know, safety tools. And we're consistently innovating on that and, and investing in that. And, you know, there's such a long way to go, but we're excited about it and how much better it can get. That said, on Bumble, let's say a man and a woman match and she doesn't want to message him. The worst thing that happens is he never gets a message, but he can't then spam her with a bunch of toxic stuff. I see. It's blocked. She's safe. She's guarded. And that that one little guardrail mm-hmm. has been the foundation of everything mm-hmm. because it's protected the woman and it's actually eradicated a lot of that toxic, vitriol, incessant messaging that has become so, you know, mainstream on our digital products. And so that is why we've been able to go and build BFF mm-hmm. and these other arms of the business, because we have that safeguard in our brand and in our products. And how much do you think this comes from your experience? Like you've talked about in your past being in an abusive relationship in the real world, did that trauma or did that you know, psych- the psychological implications of that to inform the way that you design the product, do you think? Absolutely. Even mm-hmm. today, I'm in a happy marriage. And I even today in product meetings, close my eyes and mm-hmm. try to put myself back into the worst moments I can remember to try to say, what's a better way? How do we prevent this? Mm-hmm. How do we make this not happen next time? And don't get me wrong. We're not perfect. We have a long way to go, right? This is a, this is a tricky problem. And the, the, the thing is there's no solve. There's just progress, right? There's no perfect ending. It's just like consistent progress. But I will tell you right now that that is why I still go to work, right? Like Mm -hmm. that is why I'm still here. I'm so deeply passionate Mm -hmm. about creating kinder, healthier, happier love around the world, because ultimately at the end of the day, what do we really have? Love. Like that's it. Love saves the day. Right. And so being in the business of love is a privilege in my opinion. And, and I want to create healthy love, not toxic love because there's Mm -hmm. both. And I don't know if you would agree with me, but there's a lot of opportunity to help hurt people, stop hurting people. I agree with you. Right. I agree with you. And I think even just the awareness that your own anger, vitriol, spite is coming from a place of hurt, like of you having been, you have unresolved hurt in your past. Like even just making that simple connection, I think starts to help people. But we 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 do live in a, you know, in a world that's largely unconscious. And I think our our culture certainly perpetuates that. Absolutely. No, absolutely. And so, you know, if, if there's a way to at scale and through technology, help elevate that, that level of, of consciousness or thinking and awareness, Mm -hmm. self-awareness and also self-love, right. Mm -hmm. It's not just about women. Like this is a everybody problem. This is, there needs to just be more, um, there needs to be more self-kindness and kindness towards others, especially on the internet. Actually, interesting thing happened the other day. You'll appreciate this. So I'm on Bumble all the time. I talk to people literally all day long. I'm, you know, getting customer feedback. I'm actually meeting people that are applying for jobs. Like I, I use this as a tool all the time. I had someone come to our office last week who's this like AI researcher at Oxford. He was this incredible guy that I found on Bumble. He came for a meeting with me and my CTO the next day. It was like amazing, you know, all these opportunities. But anyway, 
long story short, I messaged this one guy. I'm like, Hey, how do you like Bumble? Well, he thinks I'm a bot. So he starts sending me really toxic messages. So I sent him a selfie in a meeting in Bumble with like a lot of my team members in the photo with me. And I was like, Hey, thanks for the feedback. We're talking about it right now. All of a sudden, GP, he sends me the nicest messages. He's super apologetic. He's like, I didn't think you were real. So there's something there that when people don't have accountability, they don't realize that there's something that happens in a person's mind when they're speaking to people on the internet. They lose sight that there's humans on the other end. There's just this like lack of, of kindness and just being decent as a human being. And empathy, what seems to happen on the internet, it's real. It's a really interesting phenomenon is that people who are otherwise conscientious, you know, empathetic people, when they have that layer of anonymity, they tap into like the, the darkest aspect of themselves that wants to lash out to hurt somebody that has no empathy, you know, that sadistic thing that makes them feel better in the moment because they're not processing their own lives. They're not processing their own pain. And I think it really works for a second to make somebody feel better or they think it does. I think actually karmically it's pretty bad and makes your life worse, but. Absolutely. No, I completely agree. But you know, what's interesting is that, and I know, I don't know if you agree with this, but this happens driving on the street too. I know I keep coming back to all these weird driving metaphors. I, don't I like know it. what's going on today, but, but think about it. If someone has tinted windows and they don't have a license plate on their car, it could be the most amazing human. You could have just had like the best lunch. They might road rage on you. Right. But what's so interesting is you layer on this accountability factor, like, okay, your windows aren't tinted. You've got license plates on the front and on the back. And, Oh, your neighbors recognize what car you drive. All of a sudden you adhere to different behaviors maybe. Mm -hmm. And this is exactly what happens on the internet. And what's so scary is nobody out of this, you know, big tech giant space is doing anything to build the license plates or the, the stop signs or the accountability system or the, you know, neighborhood watch patrol. And so this has been something I'm obsessed with at Bumble is how do we actually engineer these real life triggers to create kinder communities because you know what you've got you've got kids that that like their phones and this is how our generation and our generation's children and and this like entire world we're living in we are on our phones this Mm is an online world and so imagine, you know, no accountability, no safety there. There's a lot of risks. And so this is kind of what I'm obsessed with is how do we get people to be kinder to each other on the internet? And how fascinating that you're ideating digital product around this. When you think of what you've created so far, are there any particular features that you're super proud of or anything that's forthcoming that you can discuss that you, that gets you excited? Yeah, I think, you know, there've been a lot of things that we've done that I love for example, you know, we make you verify yourself. So before our products, really only credit card companies did this, which is so interesting. It's like, 
we'll protect your finances, but we won't protect your love life. That makes no sense. Or we won't protect your friendship. So, you know, a lot of credit card companies would get you to do like photo verification where, you know, you were really the person trying to access the bank account who you said you were. So we built this photo moderation system at the, at the business years ago, small things that might not mean a lot, but really when you get that at scale and you get millions of people really being who they say they are, it can have a, you know, a seismic impact on, on behavior. So that's just one thing. But we also have this feature that I'm personally, I love. I don't know if it gets enough like product love. Currently, we're, we're working on ways to innovate and, and modernize it. But we have this feature called Moves Making Impact. So for every first move a woman makes, it impacts a woman somewhere that that might not have the same level of ability to go first in her life. So we teamed up with Vital Voices and we have this, this mechanism to essentially let you choose what you care about. So you could say, I want my moves to impact women's health care, or I want my moves to impact some form of reform. And you can really try to pay it forward to other women. So it's in our app right now and you choose your cause. So for example, my cause right now on the app is human rights. And it tells me how many first moves I've made to support my cause. You can switch, I can switch my cause right now to women's health. So this would improve healthcare and equality for vulnerable women and girls in remote communities. And so it's it's this pay it forward capacity of a woman somewhere in a somewhat modernized space, right? Like where you know, California, for example, you can make the first move, but that's not the case for women everywhere. So I love technology because you can design it to do these type of things mm-hmm. and at scale. And I think that that is the stuff that gets me really, really excited. Let's take a quick break to talk about one of our partners. CarbonX is an environmental company that aims to empower people to make a positive impact on the planet. They've created a simple platform to help you make up for your carbon emissions by supporting climate-friendly projects. You can earn shareable badges based on how long you've been offsetting, and your subscription will go towards supporting new initiatives and carbon offsetting projects that have been independently verified to have removed CO2 from the atmosphere. You can choose a project that is meaningful to you, such as planting trees in deforested regions of the Amazon and investing in energy-efficient and renewable resources around the world. For the Goop podcast team, CarbonX wanted to cover our team's carbon footprint. They donated a subscription for us to support an energy-efficient cook stoves program in Uganda. To learn more about CarbonX, head to their website at carbonx.com. That's carbon with a K-X.com or download the CarbonX app. Okay, let's get back to the conversation. So speaking of at scale, I'm sure that your role as CEO has changed from your early days to now. And I'm just so curious about when you run a public company that's this large, how do you spend your day? How do you organize your priorities? Where are you spending your time? Yeah, it's a good question. Well, I'm still trying to figure that out. (laughs) No, but because no two days are the same, right? You know, once a quarter, we have earnings that is a two-week, you know, complete schedule alterer. But I try to have 
a blockout zone until about 8.30 a.m. if I can because I have two small babies and I love being a mom. Being a mom is my joy, but I also feel like a mom to Bumble, right? And so they're kind of all my babies. They manifest in different ways, obviously, and none of them sleep at night, which is an interesting phenomenon, but I, (laughs) I I tried to really be mom with no bumble, with no work, with no phone calls, with no fire drills until about 8.30. And then, you know, the littlest one will go down for his little nap around nine. And my older one is off to some, you know, either preschool or some morning activity. And so I feel like I can then shift gears and really go into like bumble land. And mm-hmm. I I just try to schedule appropriately, like know my kids' schedules, work around them, know the team's schedules, try to work around them. But to be honest with you, I, I don't get it right all the time and it stresses me out a lot and it has been crazy. I, I was saying this the other day, I don't know if I've actually been fully present in any given moment because somewhere I'm in 10 places at once emotionally. Mm -hmm. And that's the beauty of children. It's like the first thing in my life, I'm sure you can relate to this. And I, I, maybe you'd have to tell me your experience, but children are the first time in my life I've had to be a hundred percent fully focused and present on just that moment, which Mm kind of gives you this sense of being not doing. And that's a really important distinction. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, you were telling me a few weeks ago, you were literally breastfeeding your baby during an earnings call. And I was like, I mean, to me, that's the coolest thing ever and how you're redefining what it means to be a female CEO of a public company. But at the same time, that's some real multitasking right there. Yeah, that that was uh, a <laughs> had finer moments, but no, Henry was five weeks old, and we had our earnings call, and yeah, he was he was literally I was nursing, like I want to say even as the call was taking place, or right before, <laughs> right after. I can't remember at this point, but yeah, he was very much there, and that was that was just the way it was going to go. And I I I feel proud that I'm allowed to be that example because I know so many women that feel like having kids or having a career, you have to choose, Mm -hmm. or you have to choose when to like jump off the ship because of children. And I know so many women that have said, oh, I'm not going to be the CEO anymore. I'm going to hand it off because I want to be a mom. And that's beautiful. And that's fine. If that's their journey, I I respect and appreciate everybody else's like own version of it. But Mm -hmm. I do think some of that thinking was because they didn't think they were allowed to take their baby to earnings or they didn't think they they could take their baby to a board meeting, right? And I want to challenge that and say, well, listen, like, why don't we just redefine what this looks like so that we can do what we want to do and not feel like we have to choose out of yeah. four? Yeah, it's it's amazing. And as I said, it's it's very new. I mean, this this kind of thing wasn't even dreamed about, you know, 10, 15 years ago that, that a woman could simultaneously be seen as a mother and also as a competent, powerful, kick-ass CEO. I think it's new that you could be actively caring for your child and reporting on earnings. Like, I think it's a completely new model of what a modern mother is. And I just, I think it's phenomenal that you're doing it. Well, I have to say, and I know you don't want to make this about you, but you are a big piece of that for women. Like you have totally reinvented yourself 200 times, but it's not that you've 
had to give away one piece of you to be the next piece of you. I think that has given people like me permission to say, you don't have to fit just one, you know, one box. You don't have to be just this or just that. Like you're allowed to be more, you're allowed to be all the parts of you and still succeed and still be seen as, you know, a real business person or still be seen as this. And so I, I've got to give you a lot of credit there. And I, I will say I'm not the only person that thinks that. I think that's a pretty universal belief. Well, thank you very much. That means a great deal to me. Okay, so I just want to double click on that before I want to, I move on to something else. Tell me just a little bit about how you think about your responsibilities as CEO at this stage. Yeah. Well, technically as CEO, everything's my responsibility, which is the a buck blessing stops and a curse, with you. But the buck stops with you. Yeah. And you know what? I'm I'm okay with that because I genuinely have pretty little ego when it comes to having accountability and just owning things. Like when things go wrong, I'm not going to try to blame, you know, the next person in line. Mm-hmm. And so with that means I've had to really learn my weaknesses better. So I have an incredibly creative sense. I, I'm super right brain. I am dreamer. I am ideas. I am product. I am marketing. I am brand. I am safety. I am customer service. I mean, the first few years of the company, I was responding to these customer service emails. Personally, I was on the phone trying to find a florist in obscure towns I'd never heard of to send flowers (laughs) to someone who had had a bad experience on Bumble. I mean, we were so homegrown mom and pop care for everyone. Like it is your own. So it's been interesting to shift from some of that into regulatory proceedings and legal and finance. And wow. I, I'm i proud of myself. And I think it's important for us to say we're proud of ourselves for things. I am proud of myself for how far I have come as a somewhat now fluent business mind in, in areas that I was not native in. Mm. And... So that's something I'm really proud of. Now, I still have blind spots, right? But I have hired exceptional humans. Like I have, every one of my leadership team is smarter than me, unequivocally. No, like if if we had like a, if if we had a, like any type of, you know, test or or race on, on who's smarter and who's more competent, all of them beat me by a landslide. And that's what I want. Like I have surrounded myself with, such smart people who tell me no, and they push back. This morning, I was 100% married to something on a new product feature from a branding perspective. And one of our team members, she was like, Whitney, no, because you're wrong. And this is why you're wrong. And I was like, okay, you're right. Go for it. So <laughs> this, is a, this is the beauty of getting to scale is you end up surrounding yourself with people that, you know, are just so masterful in their roles. And and it's been really a highlight to be able to work with people like that. That's so awesome. And what kind of metrics are you guys looking at to track if Bumble's heading in the right direction or wrong? Oh gosh, so many metrics, so many. But I marriages, think, uh, you yeah, know. So I'm obsessed with, so I personally have like a, a, a tally going in my phone of how many Bumble babies I have personally met. So that's like my favorite metric. How I mean, many? that's not like our real metric. It's like, oh gosh, I have met at this point on a personal level, like whether it's at a cafe or 
somewhere I have, I've definitely met hundreds of Bumble babies. Oh my God. Doesn't that make you so emotional? It really does. And like, you know, I'll meet the dog in the street that's named Bumble because their, their parents met on Bumble. And I'm just like, that's the craziest thing to me. I can't believe it. It's so sweet. And that is like, to me, that is just absolute magic. And so I love seeing people happy. I love seeing love. And I, you know, the stories I've heard are so crazy and mind bending and people that have come out of the most tragic situations, losing a spouse a year into marriage and going into deep depression for years. And then, you know, someone telling them about Bumble and they get on Bumble and they find the love of their life again and they're reborn and they're okay. Like that's the stuff that I just live for. But I mean, you know, of course you've got all the really fun financial metrics too and all that other stuff, which we do love, but you know. (laughs) Yeah. But, but you're, but you're driven by the other, the less uh, quantitative. Well, how do you, I mean, love is so, I've heard this refrain from you over and over, not only in this conversation, but about love and, and, and connection and sort of emotional aspiration. So how do you tend to your own love in your life? Yeah, it's a great question. So I have a very special human as my husband. He He's a remarkable character, to say the least. And anyone that knows him realizes that in two seconds. He is everything I never knew because he is empowering. And my strength makes him proud and happy. The stronger and more confident and more empowered I am, the more he's just so in love and so happy. And I've never known a relationship like that. I've only ever had relationships where my light scared the living day out of them. And it turned into them wanting to dim me and collapse me and belittle me and turn me into nothing. And it's happened to me a couple of mm-hmm. times where I was nothing. I was a shell. I was gone. My light had been snuffed and I thought life was over. I've been in those relationships and so many women around the world can relate to that. I I think if you were to ask a hundred women, if they or someone they know have had a relationship like that, you'd see a hundred hands in the air. Right. And that's my why I want to help fix that. So he is an amazing guy. His mother came out when he was two. And so he was raised in a very progressive, empowering mother dynamic. She has an amazing wife and his mother is such a force. She's one of the strongest women I've ever met. And she's my mother-in-law. And the crazy thing is she was actually my college professor five or six years before I met my husband. So I had no idea he even existed. And she gave me a lot of strength and she built me up and she believed in me. And I see that in him. Mm -hmm. So a strong mother raises a strong boy. And I'm really grateful to have that. And the, the nice thing is, is he is the opposite of me. Like he's an outdoor guy, doesn't know where his phone is 75% of the time. <laughs> I think he's still like on an iPhone seven or something. So I'm like not kidding. So, you know, he's very refreshing. He brings me back to life when I get a little sucked into the vortex of everything. Let's take a quick break to talk about one of our partners. When it comes to putting together your home, a great rug can make all the difference. A rug is really what pulls a room together and creates harmony. 
Nordic Knots offers a curated collection of rugs and timeless high quality essentials. They collaborate with leading designers and are the insider rug brand gracing some of the world's most beautiful homes. They have a wide ranging collection, but we'll just talk about a few favorites today. The luxurious Grand Collection is known for its simple design, stunning colors, and high quality wool. But if you're feeling a bit more bold, their designer collaborations are made with world-renowned designers and interior architects. Their Goodweave certified rugs are handmade and woven in all natural materials, like their super soft and beautiful New Zealand wool. At Nordic Knots, they make the process of rug shopping easy and enjoyable. And they always offer fast and free shipping from the U.S. To explore their rug collections, head to nordicknots.com. Use promo code INNERCIRCLE to get free rug samples. Okay, let's get back to the conversation. What do you think changed in you that you were able to move into a relationship that was this kind of healthy Like, how did you start to accept? Because sometimes I think when we're stuck in a pattern where we're chasing someone, right, we're mirroring something from our childhood and, you know, to be able to accept love and adoration and like someone who's a rock can be hard if you're coming from a different framework. Yeah. I think he cracked open this case that had been put over me that like just put my confidence down. And so when he was able to crack that open and make me believe in me, it, it made me able to love, right. Mm -hmm. He gave me permission to love myself and through loving myself, I was able to love others. Right. And so I think it started with self-love honestly. And because he wanted me to love me for who I am and not for who someone wanted me to be or not be. It just made me so magnetically in love with him. And he is, he's my person. And we've been together almost 10 years, let's see, nine years now. And, you know, he's my forever. And it's, it's pretty amazing because it takes a special guy to navigate meeting a 24 year old girl who's leaving this tech Thing, go through lawsuits with her, go through rebuilding a company with her, go through her being mocked, laughed at and shunned, and then go through that all the way up to the top of this like this pendulum swing of going public and doing all that. And he's just been consistent the whole time. And for that, I am relentlessly grateful. And I think there's a magical undertone here that exists in Bumble is it's not just about girl power. It's not just about like women first and women in control and women this it's, it's kindness and healthy relationships. And it's, that's double-sided. This is not a single-sided equation, you know, it it, it requires to, to have a good relationship. And so, by the way, we still have our challenges. No one's perfect. You know, we, we still, but yeah, it's amazing what a good relationship can help you achieve outside. Right. Yeah. I think when there's sort of, it sounds like a weird word to use, but it just sort of struck me when you were talking, like when there's that kind of reverence between a husband and wife, like, of course you can get busy and off track and whatever, but like at the core of it, you know, if there's a reverence for what has been built and for 
the, the, the qualities of the other person and how they positively impact you. It's such a nice thing to be able to rely on and go back to that. Well, absolutely. I agree with that. And I think, yeah, relationships are everything. They can destroy you or they can build you. And that's, that's really it. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I want to ask you a little bit about moving from the romantic relationship into female friendships and about Bumble BFF and which is such a cool concept. And of course you have Bumble Biz and I want to ask you if there are other branches of this tree coming, but why are female friendships important to you? And and so much so that you created a, a, a vertical out of connecting women to each other. Yeah, no, I think sisterhood and female friendships are arguably the most important relationship us women can actually have in our lives because that is how we bring out the best version of us and that is how we play and have fun. And I think laughter and joy and just mindlessness fun is something that is so missing in the world right now. Everything has become so heavy and so fake and these friendships are so phony. They're like, okay, well, they like my Instagram post. So we're friends, but are you really friends? Like, does that person want to sit on a couch and cry with you or eat Chinese food and watch like terrible TV? Like who, how do you define friend? And what I noticed when we were building Bumble was this crazy surge in demand of, Hey, I'm using Bumble. I'm married. I just really need friends. Like I got engaged. I moved. I followed my partner. This mm-hmm. job, some new city, and I like don't have any girlfriends and I need a yoga buddy or I need someone I miss with my friends. And we have become this culture that is not the one our parents grew up in. Like we leave, we fly the roost. Like you're 17, 18, you're out the door. And then you go to college. If you go to college and that little orbit of group of friends is gone four years later and you are mm-hmm. alone in being being single is one thing. And I think there's so much beauty in being single. And I actually think being single is one of the most powerful tools anyone will ever have because it allows them the freedom to be them and like learn about themselves. But you can't really do any of it in life, single or otherwise, without good friends. And so many of us feel, you know, stuck in our friendships, even if they're toxic, because it's like, well, who else am I going to hang out with? And so that was really the the behind the scenes like driver of BFF was let's use this powerful tool of a safer, kinder space where women are in control, but in control to find their friends and friends that that see them and want to build them up and love them, not, you know, be jealous and and be catty. So it was really about like building like a healthy friendship platform and that's what it is now. We're we're launching a standalone product, which I'm super excited about. And so I really want to scale that around the world. Loneliness is a huge issue. And you and I know, like even our friendship, like that builds me up. When I see you and we get to connect even for two minutes, like that that fills your soul. It feeds you and people need that. Yeah. How do you define friendship? Like what's important to you? A no judgment zone. Yeah. Right. I mean, what about you? How do you define it? I think it's changed for me over time. You know, I was a slow learner in a lot of ways. Like, you know, it, it took me a number of years to really make best friends with myself. 
And once I did that, everything opened up for me more in terms of, you know, and I'm really lucky. I've had like my best, best friends I've had since kindergarten and then a whole bunch since seventh grade when I moved to New York. And I just got lucky with those people because they're the most incredible to this day, like supportive, hilarious, non-toxic, like the greatest group of people. That's so amazing. And then in my, you know, kind of grown up life, I've been able to meet and choose and cultivate these incredible women, one of whom you are, that are like, I feel like when I'm with you or Amy or like my friend Dawn or, you know, people that I've become close to in the last 10 years say, I feel my backbone gets stronger and I feel like my, my front opens up and I'm like, oh, I'm allowed to be myself and I'm appreciated for that. And it makes me feel like there's healing going on. Yes. Yes. I agree. What I look for, you know, like I'm always, I'm always so inspired when I meet you know, women, my friend Beatrice, who's a new friend, you know, Beatrice from the trip, like women who make me feel like I like myself even more. Yeah. No, I think that's beautiful. And I think that's exactly right. I think, you know, borrowing the energies of our friends to both heal and grow and evolve is kind of a magical situation. And it really, it, it just, it elevates your existence on earth. It really does. Good friends are just, you know, it's critical. And it's so interesting. Like this is, there's medical studies on this, you know, healthy friendship is a true prescription for longevity and well-being. And gosh, I mean, how vulnerable we feel throughout our days, right? We get so insecure and we get thrown off our horse, you know, metaphorically and, 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 emotionally and physically and whatever happens. And it's this like security blanket as an adult to be able to just grab that friend and be like, will you just hear me or just be there, you know? And no, I agree. I think, I think it's amazing, but yeah, friendship is a whole universe that deserves so much more exploring, I think. Yeah. And I think on the theme of loving yourself, in my view, my friendships all got so much richer, as I said, when I really did become friends with myself. And I think you should have a new vertical on Bumble, a, a, a BFF with yourself, Bumble. And I can- That cut- is actually <laughs> brilliant. I yes. think that is genius. Okay, well, all right. I adore you. Thank you so much for this incredibly, God, you're just so brilliant. And I just love talking to you. And you've just- You've made my day. Thank you for coming. Love you. Love you. Bye. Bye. Thank you for joining my chat with Whitney Wolf Hurd. As she said herself, you can find Whitney on the Bumble app. And to learn more about their mission, head to bumble.com. Thanks for tuning in. This has been a presentation of Cadence 13 Studios. I hope you'll listen, follow, rate, and review all of our episodes, which are available for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Odyssey, or wherever you get your podcasts.